Welcome to the Price of Football Derby County, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game Derby County with me, Kevin Derby County Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, Derby County. It's it's questions day, Kieran, but I thought we might, I thought we might as well be up front about what's going to happen in our only news story. We Every week we pussyfoot about, we're coy with the euphemisms, our favourite team from the East Midlands, but it's Derby County, Kieran, essentially, Derby County, and we have issues with the timing of the announcement about Derby County, do we not, Kieran? Well, well only in the sense that uh, on, on Wednesday night, I'd I'd gone to bed. You know, I had my had my Horlicks, uh, you know, read, read, you know, said my prayers, do, do all the normal type of stuff. You know, bl- bl- bless bless the spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> and at eleven thirty one, that the EFL put out a press release, Ooh. and then sort of ten minutes later my phone starts pinging with messages. Mm. So the Baroness grabs the phone just to check that it's not from a Moscow, <laughs> uh, not, not from a Moscow address. Um, and she says, something's happened with Derby County. And I'm going, oh, no. So, uh, yeah, um, the, the, what has happened is that uh, the EFL have uh, been successful in the sort of, in, uh, there's, there's an ind- in, independent panel which have been reviewing Derby County's accounts, and uh, they they had come to the conclusion, and, and we're, we're on an even more favourite topic of yours than Derby mm. County. They have decided that Derby County's amortisation policy has not been uh, applied properly according to the rules, which is what I said to the EFL over three years ago. So mm. I'm going, well, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised about this. Um, so. Um, Derby County have been given a £100,000 fine uh, by the independent panel, and um, they've been asked to resubmit their accounts. And the EFL's announcement also made reference to a fairly fluid fixture list, Mm. uh, interchangeable fixture list with Wickham Wanderers. And your first reaction is, hold on, you know, Derby have been given a £100,000 fine, so why should this impact upon uh, the standings for next season? But it's fairly clear that uh, Derby have to resubmit their accounts, and if they reveal that uh, Derby have exceeded the £39 million allowable loss over three years for the period 2016 to 2018, then they may be subject to sanctions um, because there is a fixed tariff in terms of points deductions. Um, so uh, that's that's what happened on um, on Wednesday night, and then Thursday morning, initially all quiet on the Derby front. Hmm. And, and I thought this is a bit unusual because normally uh, both parties w- would receive the adjudication of the panel simultaneously. They then tend to agree the contents of a uh, of a press release, and then Derby would probably go on and say, well, you know, we, we've got the following issues. Um, and it appears, and, and, I, and I've read, uh, I've read the Athletic. You, you know, our friend Matt Slater, who who normally is a man who is, has the finger on the pulse on this. Mm. Um, apparently, th- it, it appears that the EFL and Derby couldn't agree uh, with regards to this interchangeable fixture list uh, comments. 
So the EFL said, well, yeah, we, we've got a problem. And, and, and it is a genuine problem. Um, at midnight, they send out the fixtures to all of the broadcasters. Mm. And then the clubs find them out the following morning at six o'clock because this allows the broadcasters. And, it, and it's all done on a non-disclosure basis and, and it, you know, it's embargoed. And, and this is the way that most things are organised. So um, they, they go out to all of the EFL's partners. So the EFL, as far as they were concerned, the clock was clicking, was ticking towards midnight. Could they or could they not release the fixture list? So, so they said, well, we're, we're going to do this independently. So yeah, there is, they, they, were, they were genuinely between a rock and a hard place. So that's that's where we are at present. There's, there's a couple of things I'd like to unpick with you, Kieran, then. Not in the least the fact that you're in bed by quarter past 11. Uh, <laughs> I, I like the fact that I like the fact there was a baroness that told you there's a problem at Derby County. Yes, yes, darling, I know. I've been talking about it for three years. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, timing, the timing is interesting because, you know, it's, it's, it's not all about us, Kieran, except when we're together, when it is all about us. But, you know, the fact is that we you know, we record our pod on a Wednesday. We'd already recorded it, and it's really annoying when something massive happens. But also, it, it does seem like when a, when a press release, and we've tried to be fair to both sides. We've tried to be fair to the EFL and Derby County throughout this process. Uh, that's big of us, isn't it? Um, but it's, uh, but it does. I'm sure the EFL must realise themselves that every, you know, if you release a press release at that time of night, it looks slightly furtive. I mean, it looks like you're yep. trying to sneak something out. It's the sort of thing you'd expect from Matt Hancock, to be perfectly fair. But what what Ma- what, 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 Manca- what Matt Hancock slips out at 11.30 at night is yeah, not for discussion uh, on this uh, show. Just, my God, that video. It just looked like the end of a school disco, didn't it, with two people <laughs> who didn't quite know what to do with their hands. Um <laughs> What a country! Uh, part of, part of me is actually quite proud that it looks like a school disco. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, um, what what amuses me a little bit, Kim, is I, as I was working on uh, the Thursday, I was in studio all day, and guy sent me one of his usual uh, slightly passive aggressive messages saying, "You better read the press release that's been." Yeah. And this this <laughs> which you know, I was, I was about to read it anyway. To be fair. Um, this interchangeable fixture list, so I read the press release and I read it and I read it and I thought I must be missing something because there's no mention, despite the hint of the interchangeable fixture list, there's no mention that relegation is a potential outcome for Derby as a sanction if they don't meet certain criteria. And I don't think that's fair to Derby fans. I also don't think it's fair to Wickham fans because Wickham fans now have suddenly been handed out that little sliver of hope that they may actually start next season back in the championship. And also, how does each club prepare financially? Because there's a huge world of difference financially. If, if if one club suddenly finds itself relegated and one club suddenly finds itself having to prepare for a promotion that they weren't expecting, in a sense. It's, it's, it seems to me that having the rushing out of the press release has caused more problems than it's solved, in a way. Yes, I mean, and you're absolutely right in terms of financial planning. Uh, you know, Derby will, uh, if, if the worst happens, and you know, we, we've said all along, whilst this is a programme about money, that we think that football decisions should be based on what happens on the pitch. Uh, and I, and I, feel, you know, I, I feel points, av- average number of points, points deductions and so on. If, if, if people do wrong, then you target the owners 
and you target the people making the decisions. You, you don't impact upon the players and the management team who have acted in good faith. Uh, decisions have been made on, on, the, on other beliefs. Um, but yeah, but Derby potentially are looking at a drop in TV money Mm. of at least £6 million, mm. plus the chances are that their sponsors will have a relegation clause, plus potentially the crowds will be a bit down. Um, so you know, they, they could be looking at the thick end of £10 million worse off. Um, equally, Wickham Wanderers are going to be worse off on the back of relegation, and their owner came out fighting on Thursday night to say, well, we've known this has been going on for some time, we feel that we're the innocent party here. Um, you know, we will be considering our options, one yeah. of which will be, uh, if, if we remember what happened with uh, Carlos Tevez and West Ham and Sheffield United, yes, which, um, which compensation was, yeah. was paid. Yeah. So uh, that, that's, that's where we were um, Wednesday night. And then on Thursday morning, Derby County came out. You know, they, they clearly had spoken to their legal team and they said, well, you know, we, we accept the fine, okay, we're not happy about it, but uh, they also said we, we cannot be relegated because the season has ended. Yeah. And therefore, it is illegal. However, if we if we wind the clock back um, around about 12 months, Macclesfield Town were relegated on the 11th of August yeah. 2020 after the season had ended. So I'm not sure exactly where they would stand, because I think a precedent has been set. Um, the Derby response also said that the EFL wanted a points deduction and pointed out that the independent panel had not given a points deduction, though I'm not sure whether it's in their remit to do so. Um, and they also complained that the uh, the reasons behind the uh, the adjudication those had not been given out in full either, and that they therefore felt it would be more appropriate until those were published before uh, before the contents of the EFL remarks. So, yeah, I think they're they're you can see it from everybody's point of view. There's mm. another party involved, and this is Derby County's auditors. Oh. Derby County's auditors approved the change to the amortisation policy. Now, these are qualified chartered accountants. They approved them in 2016, they approved them in 2017, and they approved them in 2018. So if the EFL are now saying, we, as the EFL, we feel that we are a more senior adjudicator as to how to effectively audit a set of accounts, I, th- I think this is, a, this is an intriguing perspective uh, certainly that you know the credibility of the auditors uh could take a real hammering and if you go to the website of the auditors which of course i did um i found that the guy who had signed off the accounts and he probably has not helped himself by saying in his personal profile i'm a passionate derby county fan now huh. auditors are supposed to be independent so yeah. that that just doesn't look too clever so uh, it, it's it's a very messy situation. Um, Derby now have to resubmit their accounts. And it could be because I, I've done some calculations myself on a spreadsheet and Swiss Ramble has done similar. Um, and you know, 
Derby are there or thereabouts potentially. Yeah, you know, we we don't know the exact details as to what they can they can knock off. You know, it's, it's a bit like you know, when you submit your tax return, you can claim for this, that, and the other. So we, so we we don't know the details. And at the end of the day, it's none of our business either. But you know, the the rough figures are Derby County are probably going to be close to, but not necessarily exceeding the £39 million limit. So they could submit their accounts to the EFL and said, we've recalculated our FFP losses. They're £38.6 million. We'll take the £100,000 fine and we're looking forward to starting next season in the championship. The EFL then, of course, have the right to appeal against that. Mm. And all of the time, the clock's ticking towards the 7th of August. And I think the appeal by either side has to be in by the 18th of August. So we could have a crazy situation where Wickham and Derby County, in theory, and I can't see how this can work in practice, Mm. could have played two or three games of next season and then they end up in different divisions. That's unfair on the whole of the clubs in the Championship and and League One. So uh, is is it a mess? Yes, it is. Um, The the timing is unfortunate, but uh, the the panel took its time to to reach a verdict, I guess. Well, I suspect Kieran will be talking about this from on now until Christmas, probably on every pod. But in the meantime, what I would say to both Derby County and the EFL is that probably what you need is to pay someone neutral a massive consultancy fee. Maybe some kind of podcast who can see both sides of the stories. Obviously, I would <laughs> I would get some of the money, Kieran, because it would be me asking you the questions that you write down the answers to. Um, And speaking of which, let's go on to questions because we do have some some very good ones. Um, My heart, your heart, goes out to Derby fans and to Wickham fans of this because, again, as with every story, the people that weren't to blame are the ones that are most anxious about what's going to happen and it's just not right. And and, and, and all the staff as well. Absolutely. Of course, absolutely. What will have happened is that at 11.30 at night, that press release went out, somebody picked up on it, and it would have been pushed around all of the the Derby County employees, and they're going, we don't know what's going on. Potentially, as as you said, it is giving giving Wickham hope, whether that's false hope or not, we don't know. Um, And, uh, you know, when, when clubs get relegated, there are often redundancies. Course, so, you know, people's jobs are on the line. They accept that and they would have perhaps been relieved. They thought, you know, from a Derby County perspective, right, we've got to the end of the season. Yes, things are things are not good. Uh, mm. You know, with all of these problems with the takeover issues, uh, you know, other issues to do with the club as well, um, which which haven't, haven't helped. Um, but at least we've got a little bit of certainty and now... We're back to an uncertain environment. Un- uncertainty eats eats away at people, and that's, yes, a, that's a tragedy. Yes, of course. Um, our first question comes from Chris Whiffin, uh, and Chris says, plans to install a salary cap in the Championship were rejected, but what's the current status of salary caps in Leagues 1 and 2? Uh, are they still in place and being enforced? And what about the suggested restrictions on squad sizes? Right. Yes. In, in terms of the championship, um, I, I think the EFL, uh, they, they have these meetings which clearly have been taking place online for the last uh, year or so. Um, they, they they put it out to the clubs. Do you want? Because I think there's a misconception. The EFL ultimately do not make the decisions. The EFL is a members club and the members vote on proposals. So um, championship uh, club owners or chief executives, there was a meeting 
And it was clear that the the vibes from the room was that there is no way you're going to get the two-thirds majority that's going to be required for any form of, of salary cap. So we've got nothing taking place as far as the championship is concerned. When it comes to League One and League Two, the, the owners of the clubs voted in favour of a £2.5 million cap in League One and a £1.5 million cap in League Two. Um, this was disputed by the Professional Footballers Association um, and uh, they uh, they asked our, our good friend, uh, Nick DeMarco, to, to represent them. Um, and uh, there was a successful rejection of the of the proposed salary caps. So therefore, instead, we have reverted to, and I, I think I think we want to do is, is to set the scene because we have now we've reverted back to the salary cap management protocol, <laughs> Kevin. And and nothing says more than a hotel conference room with little breakout rooms, biscuits. Which people, everybody goes for the shortbread and leaves the ginger snaps. And you know, I, I, I can already picture the whiteboard and, and the PowerPoint presentations. You know, th- this is as middle management as it gets. <laughs> Who came up with salary cap management protocol? I mean, that that just that is that is years of being a management consultant. That is. Mm. Um, so the way that that works is that this is what we sometimes refer to as a soft cap. Broadly speaking. Uh, in League One, you can spend 60% of your turnover on wages. And in League Two, it's 50%. But if the club owner puts money in, in the form of shares, all of that money is added to your potential wage bill. And there's other bits and pieces as well, which you know, we've, got, we've got a limit on the, on the time on the show today. So, um, yeah, but that, that, that's broadly where we are. So we've reverted back to a softer wage cap which is good for clubs such as Sunderland, Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday, Portsmouth, you know, the big clubs in that division because they've got more money coming in. Um, it's it's more challenging for the clubs such as you know, Accrington. We've got the clubs that have just been promoted to the uh, it, to, to League One as well, the other smaller clubs. So, so that's that's the position for next season, and then there will be some adjustments allowed for COVID-related income and expense issues. And I know occasionally, Kieran, you get worried if you can't hear me making the noise in the background. You think I've drifted off, but <laughs> occasionally I just go silent and listen and take things in. Um, uh, you'd think the people by now who make ginger snaps would have realised there's a reason why the ginger snaps are always the last biscuits left. No one likes ginger snaps. Yeah, yeah. No one likes – who wants a snappy biscuit? Um, Brett Peckham. <laughs> I was listening to him, I promise you. I was genuinely listening. No, no, I, I think was, that, that, that would have been my response as well. Yeah, I was I was listening right up to the biscuit bit and then I kind of was half, <laughs> half listening. Our next question comes from Brett Peckham, uh, which is what an interesting – It's a great name, isn't it, Brett Peckham? Um if you were doing a sitcom and you came out with a character called Brett Peckham, the the director would say, "Can we probably rein that down a little bit?" <laughs> Brett, Brett Peckham sounds too mass. Brett Peckham has a, a really interesting question. Brett says, "With the Chinese TV deal falling over and betting being illegal in China, how beneficial will it be to English clubs to have Chinese betting companies as shirts or team sponsors, especially considering that the contract may not be worth the paper it's written on in twelve months' time if those companies are no longer around." to trade yeah i think it's 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 a very valid point clearly we have had uh some issues with the uh the premier league tv deal 
uh, in China. But the Premier League is still being broadcast in China. Uh, it's been taken over by, oh, um, okay. uh, I, think, I think it's been taken over by an organisation called Tencent, which is ironic because they played yeah. about 10 cents in the pound <laughs> yeah, right. uh, for, for the new rights. Um, and, and China is a very big audience. So if you are trying to get hold of viewers, if you're trying to get hold of eyeballs, which ultimately that's the purpose of advertising on TV, China is still a very attractive market. And given that um, the conventional ways of advertising are prohibited in China because gambling is, is not allowed, having front of shirt sponsorship from a gambling company is a Trojan horse. It's, it's a way of getting your brand into uh, people's television rooms. Mm. Um, so therefore, I think it still has some value. Um, I, I think what we have seen, and, th- and again, there's been some really good reporting in, in, the, uh, in, in the last seven days. And, and I'm, I'm genuinely, I, I, I am not sponsored by The Athletic, and I pay for my subscriptions, if anybody thinks. But there's a guy there called Joey Durso who does a lot of investigations into the uh, in, into the gambling world um, mm. and and he's been uh, he's been opening up on what we refer to as these white label uh, gambling companies and we mentioned the one associated with Manchester United uh, in the most recent show so um, they they still pay a premium they are still the they wave the biggest checks and we, we've got this phrase blinded by the check yeah, what's yeah. happening is that the commercial department they don't negotiate directly with these gambling companies they go through an agency you know, there are there are agencies so you know, they'll approach right. the football right. club and say you know, we we represent uh, we love betting at dot x um, in Asia, and they're prepared to offer you six million pounds for front of shirt, and, and the commercial director goes six million pounds. We're only on three and a half from yeah, our existing. Yeah. Sign me up, and so they don't necessarily do the due diligence themselves because the agent appears to be legitimate, and the agents are legitimate, um, and they assume that the agent has done all of the, the background checks. So that's that's where we are. Um, until there is a a bigger collapse, or perhaps it, or unless it happens more regularly, or unless the the Chinese government decides we're not comfortable with some of this, and therefore they might put pressure on the broadcasters to not broadcast matches in which there are front of shirt. Uh, gambling companies, so you know, mm. that could be a particular route. And, and remember, we, we saw that, that there was. Uh, if we look at what happened with Meza Ozil uh, when he upset the Chinese government, uh, you know, Arsenal's match was was canned, um, and the next the next match that Ozil played in, every time he touched the ball, they didn't mention his name. So four times during oh, that right. match, <laughs> he, he his name was completely ignored. That's very funny. Um, our next question, uh, and I hope uh, Google Pronounce has got this right. Our next question comes from Keegan Barchers. Um, and Keegan's asked a question that I often get asked in pubs, or used to in the old days uh, when we had open pubs, and I'm looking forward to being asked it again. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure we've ever, we've ever actually covered it. It's a simple question, but who's responsible for the agent fee? And is the fee calculated and then added to the transfer fee? And also, how are loyalty bonuses paid? Is it a one-off payment or is it paid in increments over the course of a contract? Right. 
the, the view that there is one agent in a transaction is not necessarily the case. Yeah. We have a buying club that might have yeah. an agent. We have a selling club who might have an agent. And we have a player who might have an agent. Now, sometimes you can have dual representation. Sometimes we even have triple representation. Mm. Sometimes they're all independent. So uh, it is the individual party who is responsible uh, for the fee. I, I've just been reading a book called The Secret Agent, which is which is a rumbustious, I think is the, way, the word I would use, a rumbustious sort of uh, warts and all uh, tales of, of daring do within the agency world. Um, and it, it was very clear that the person who wrote it was, was actually quite professional, but uh, sort of highlighted the high life of uh, of certain certain elements within the agency world, um, that it, it, it is down to the individual parties. As far as where the numbers go, um, if you are the buying club, uh, it is added to the fee, uh, which is quoted in effectively in the press, and then that is then amortised. So yeah, we've we covered amortisation twice. This could be mm. your favourite ever podcast, Kevin. I think um, still listening. Uh, <laughs> uh, as far as the seller is concerned, it's deducted. So if you take a look at the transfer of Paul Pogba to Manchester United from Juve, um, Juve's accounts say this is the price we, we agreed. We've then had to take out, you know, I think it's something like 28 million euros for the agent's fee. And then Manchester United may have paid a, an agent's fee on top of the price that they paid to Juventus to the agent separately, so so it all gets uh, it, it all gets uh, sort of mucked around. It, it's it's also similar, I think, in the in the world of of auctions uh, mm. that if you are selling something, yes, indeed, uh, we now have uh, th- th- as a seller you pay an auctioneer fee, and a few years the ago buyer, they introduced yeah. the buyer premium where yeah. you have to pay the auctioneer for the privilege of buying. So uh, the, the agents seem to be uh, in benefits here. As far as loyalty bonuses are concerned, um, they would be paid on an incremental bonus, or so on an, inter- an incremental basis. And the reason for that is that you have to go through certain criteria. These are what we refer to as contingencies. And you would have to have satisfied the criteria laid out in the contract, and then you're entitled to the money. That could be paid in a lump sum at the end of a particular year, or it could be paid on a quarterly basis or even a monthly basis it, it really very much varies uh, contract by contract mm. if there are any uh, producers of tv panel shows listening and uh, who've made shows in the last 20 years i'm going to write a book called the secret comedy writer uh, <laughs> unless i get a large amount of money in used notes placed in a secret bank account in the next two years um we have a question now from mike just a mike just mike and yes, and Mike says during Brighton's win at Anfield last season, uh huh, well done. Um, <laughs> I noticed that Jurgen Klopp was wearing Adidas trainers, whereas all the Liverpool kit is Nike. So when a club sets up a kit manufacturing deal, is the manager not also included, or can he do whatever he wants branding wise? Right, um, boots are not part of the deal ah, because okay. because there are um, there are quite a few. Uh, shirt producers who don't even make boots. Oh, of course, yes. So, you know, if, if you think of the likes you know, of uh, Rangers and now uh, somebody else has just signed up with Castore, you know, that, that's a brand new company. Uh, Admiral didn't used to make football boots. Um, so, so it's not part of the deal. The, the kit belongs to the club. The feet belong to the player. 
So therefore, the player will sign a separate deal. You know, and we've seen some of the numbers involved. I think Raheem Sterling's his. Uh, I think his deal with Nike is is up for renewal, and he's thinking of moving. And I've seen some some pretty eye watering figures being quoted in the press. So therefore, the same would apply to the manager. Now, uh, the manager. If you look at football rules, the manager is not covered uh, under FA regulations as to what he wears or doesn't wear. So sometimes you've got more of a tracksuit manager approach, in which case you know, they, they might wear some of the, the club merchandise. Um, sometimes you know, we've seen Pep Guardiola, uh, uh, he's been involved in some social campaigns um, mm. and wearing uh, wearing sweatshirts a lot to that effect. So um, the, the manager's uh, the, the manager's apparel is independent of the deal with the club. There's nothing, of course, to stop the manager from signing a separate deal, but there's no obligation to do so. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, our next question comes from Alvaro Fernandez. Um, <laughs> Alvaro Fernandez says, "I'm from Ecuador." Uh, brackets do not worry about the pronunciation of my name kevin i lived in Shelburne. <laughs> i lived in sherborne dorset for a year and I'm, <laughs> i miss how my mates used to pronounce my name which i presume is alvaro so uh, just, just to make you feel back oh, right alvaro um <laughs> and i i like I, I already like alvaro because for putting that in brackets that's a very sweet thing to put uh, but alvaro uh has this question uh, Brighton, he says, what is this? Is it bring Brighton to work day pod? Um, <laughs> Brighton recently signed Moises Caicedo, uh, who is probably the best Ecuadorian player since Antonio Valencia, and everyone in the country has been following him in the past few months. My question is, if you think he could cause an impact on Brighton's international image, or if this could open the door for the club to try and engage with Ecuadorian fans, in a way that could increase income coming from his followers, which is basically the whole country. Alvaro, I don't want to pick a fight with the whole of Ecuador. (laughs) Seriously, set your sights a little bit higher. I mean, I know he's ended up at Brighton. He won't be there for long. He's a good player. Just hold your horses till he's at a top six Premier League club. Then buy all the merchandise you want. Although I'm on about to say, Kieran, that anything that could be done to repair the damage you've done to Brighton's international image would probably be a good thing. (laughs) Right, yes. Um, In terms of this, uh, the impact that signing an individual player has on on the numbers um, is is limited to agree. First of all, we can say Brighton are a modest club in terms of size in the Premier League. Same Mm. as Palace, same as Burnley, same as Watford. we, We all know where we are. In, in in the pecking order. Um, and therefore, they have a commercial department and a marketing department and an advertising department, which which is staffed accordingly. So would they like to perhaps set up a, a, a Spanish, uh, a Spanish uh, Twitter feed, Instagram feed and so on to to try to engage in Ecuador? In, in, a, in an ideal world, yes, they have, but they, they simply don't have the resources to do so. Um, I, I, as you know, I, I teach at the University of Liverpool. Um, some of my students, uh, you know, we've, got a, we've got a very global course. So um, you know, I, I've, been, I've been interviewed by Ecuadorian TV myself with regards to this particular signing. Um, I've got uh, students from Honduras, from Brazil, and so on. And they've ended up um, on secondment to um, the big clubs in the Northwest, 
who do have um, the, the resources to be able to pay somebody to set up uh, a social media account, which is purely targeting, uh, you know, uh, for, for for Everton, it yeah, might be yeah. let's let's now target uh, Brazil because we've got Richarlison. Yeah. Uh, we've got James Rodriguez. So, so clubs with more resources are in in a better position. Manchester United have just set up a, a, a new account in. Well, I think it's going in Mandarin and Cantonese um, because they've. There. So, I, I actually agree with you with regard to uh, Moises. Um, if if, he, if he's as good as we believe him to be, the chances are he will end up with a big six club, and mm. then they'll go and buy the merchandise there. Yeah. Um, but I think the the view that just because somebody who you rate as a football player goes to play in another country, it doesn't tend to turn into dollars. It doesn't. It, right. it, it's actually quite difficult to monetize. If you, if you think about um, when some, some English players have gone to to play overseas, so you know Gary Lineker, um, he went to play for Barcelona. Did lots of kids in the UK start putting on Lineker Barcelona shirts? Um, it, it didn't really make any difference. You know, if you, if you like Barcelona, you'd have bought the shirt anyway. Um, and, and you know, remember they, they, the first of all, they support Spurs or Palace or Brighton or Manchester United. Yeah, you know, that the other first team. Yes, we you know, we sort of watch players with intrigue when they go overseas, but the, the Premier League has actually struggled uh, to to convert interest into hard cash when it comes to merchandise, unless. We are talking the big clubs who go on the pre-season tours and they'll set up pop-up shops um, mm. and, and they've got the weight of numbers to, to back that. For, for a club of Brighton's resources, it's just not really feasible. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Well, thank you for that, uh, Alvaro. Uh, And next time you're back in (laughs) Sherbourne, give us a shout. Uh, I can't tell you the amount of time. It gets me so annoyed. I'll be walking down a high road somewhere and I'll see kids in, oh, yeah, there's loads of kids in Palace shirts. Of course, they're in Barcelona shirts, aren't they? Um, <laughs> Thomas Johnson says, Thomas Johnson says, because clubs outside Europe's big leagues are essentially being held back by geography and population size as much as anything else, are mergers between national leagues from smaller countries, like the recently announced Belgium-Holland one or Scandinavia, or even former Soviet Union countries, the only solution to combating the ever-widening gap between the European football elite and the rest? Um, it's, It's an option which has both merits and demerits that the the merit as as thomas uh, says that it increases size uh, it increases the potential audience from a tv perspective um and, and therefore it can help those countries be be more independent Bel- belgium's a belgium's a small country uh i think is it the jupiter league in uh, in yes, belgium um, yeah. and uh that has not stopped belgium being ranked number one by FIFA yeah. uh, for a long period of time. So, so it do, it doesn't really stifle 
football development in terms of individuals, but clearly in the modern world. And again, you know, you and I are old enough to w- remember those glory days of you know, Ajax of the Netherlands winning the European Cup three years on the trot, because clubs tended to be far less cosmopolitan in those yeah. days. You, know, that you, you tended to pick players from your country as opposed to exporting countries. Uh, so, so exporting players, as we now see yeah, the likes of Brazil, France, Belgium, and so on. Um, so it, it would help to boost those TV revenues. Would it make them compact, com- competitive to the Premier League and the Bundesliga and so on? No. And the reason why that would not be the case is that those those big leagues, and we've got the big five in Europe of uh, England, Germany, Spain, Italy, and to a certain extent France, but France is, is dropping off the radar at present. Um, they've already got the international deals and they've already got the relationships set up overseas. And they are so big, it, it's, it's created a glass ceiling that uh, uh, another European league uh, in the form of Belgium and the Netherlands, or we're also seeing nine countries, um, including the likes of Denmark, Norway and Sweden, nine countries have have grouped together to sell the rights to all of their football as a single package. Um, So it will increase the money a bit, but I don't think it will ever make it competitive um, or truly narrow the revenue gaps that they have with the with the big countries um, that, that have already been established. Mm. I think we should mention to our Belgian friends listening, and I know we have many friends in Belgium, it, it wasn't just the likes of, of Ajax and Feyenoord in the Netherlands. You had Anderlecht, you had yeah. Club, Club Bruges in the European Cup final. So it was, you know, Belgian clubs were punching way above their weight at the time as well. Mark Cole is a friend of the show. Hello, Mark. Uh, welcome to the top of the questions pile. Um, well, <laughs> seventh top. <laughs> Mark, there's, there's the, 600 unanswered questions. Yeah, so I can so I can tell by the uh, by the fact that the league has finished long ago, and we're still getting. <laughs> I, uh, we need to take that opportunity. We need some. I think we need some kind of accidental fire. In the price of football <laughs> office, if if I don't know if there is a price of football office, even uh, although yeah, some of that it's, it, if it is, it's painted with gold leaf. It will be, yeah, and that I don't know if that burns well or not, but um, <laughs> it would be difficult to set fire to the price of football imaginary office because porcelain doesn't burn very well, and most of the price of football offices are I'm taking up price of football mugs. Um, <laughs> Mark says a short while ago we saw a furore. It says a short while well, we, we've established it. it could have been eight years ago when this happened. Who knows? Um, Mark says a short while ago we saw a furore when a Spanish newspaper published details of Lionel Messi's contract with Barcelona uh, to a US sports fan. As Mark is, this seemed like a tempest in a teapot, which is a nice way of putting mm-hmm. it. I, I like the fact they've got we've got a storm in a teacup, so of course they got a bigger in America. They got a, <laughs> they got a tempest in a teapot. Um, as Mark says, most major US sports will see players' salaries published in national newspapers. Is this due to them being collectively bargained and disclosed by players' unions, or is it uh, an American law thing? No, Mark is exactly right. Um, in the US, the the relationships that the players' unions have with the MLS, NBA, NHL, uh, and so on, is that there is an agreement between club owners and players' unions. And pl- it's actually the players' unions who publish the wage data rather oh, than right. the employer. Okay. And they do this to protect the interests of their players. So if, if uh, 
if you're if you've just been signed, if you've just been through the the, the NFL draft, and uh, you know the the the, the Ch- Chattanooga Cougars or whatever they're called, um, they they come to you and say, well, uh, yeah, we're we're, we're going to pay you uh, three million dollars. Uh, you can say, well, hold on, I've, I've got the list here from the players' union with all the other contracts of uh, of players within within the roster, and uh, you know the. Some are on fifteen, some are on twelve, some are other than eight. You're only offering me three, so it's actually used to the benefit of the player to help their representatives, or if, if they're representing themselves, to help them to um, to work out what is a feasible wage. And also, what we have in in American franchise sport is that we have wage caps and wage collars. So therefore, you know exactly how much money the club is entitled to spend so in the uh, in the NFL i think it's 185 million dollars uh, is is the is the wage cap uh, for a season but players only get paid during the season by the way yeah, once the season finishes that's it yeah you're, mm-hmm. you 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 don't get a wage um and so therefore what it would allow the player to do is to say right okay this this is what they were playing the the, the squad last season. That means that you know, I've added all of those up. There's there's twenty one million dollars. We're under the cap, so therefore that puts the player in a stronger position. If we contrast that to this side of the Atlantic, there isn't the same collective arrangements that we have. There isn't the same type of wage caps, and and the clubs are far more independent because they are uh, they are unilateral companies in their own right and they're not franchisees so therefore we we have this situation here in the UK that we don't know the details unless they get leaked on the internet you know, clearly there, there's stories mm. there's stories bumbling around the press uh, you know, we we know some football agents uh, we know some football agents who are Quite indiscreet, um, which which is always which is always good fun from a nosiness point of view. <laughs> but but ultimately, yeah, a player's wage is is uh, is, is a private contract between employee and employer, mm. and uh, you know the, the the public have have no right to see it um, any more than they have the no to, the right yeah you know, the right to know my salary. Which if you want to find out, folks, just go onto the government website. Uh, teachers' salaries they're they're all set out there on. Uh, in black and white, but yeah, I'm a public sector employee for private companies. Uh, salaries are private matters. I think we all know, Kieran. If you want to find out how much you're earning, we need to go to the dark web, really, don't we? Just to <laughs> get the full details of what Kieran. You didn't spend all that time in Russia for nothing, my friend. Um, we have three questions left, so let's answer them uh, fully but succinctly. Uh, and the next one comes from Andrew Kuhlemans. Andrew says, "I was." Um, watching a game the other day with the son and heir. Uh, and it's impossible, Kieran, for two men my age not to go, oh, son and heir <laughs> of nothing in particular. Uh, oh, I listened Mor- to that yesterday. Did you? Oh, Morris. Well, yeah, well, no, actually, I listened to it Yeah, yesterday being Sunday because uh, I went for uh, an MRI scan on Ooh. my knee. And they're, they're pretty noisy machines. They are. So they give you some headphones um, and they said, what do you want to listen to? Uh, and I said, well, what's the choices? And they said, uh, Radio 2 or Radio 4. And I thought, oh, I'll have a bit of Radio 2 just to see. I, I, it's a long time. Uh, and it was uh, it was the Smiths with How Soon Is Now, what? Deacon Blue and the Killers. 
I felt I felt I was I was rocking old dad. Well, two well two out of three, not bad. The one mm-hmm. in the middle. You, you, did you not have the opportunity to turn Deacon Blue off? Uh, how, I, I saw Deacon Blue on their very first tour. They were, they were absolutely brilliant live. Really, I wonder what happened in between. Then, um, uh, how how soon is now? Is Ali's favourite song? Um, she listens to it a lot, and then feels terribly guilty because of what Morrissey has become. I was hoping the punchline to that story would be that the, the nurse said, "Well, we can listen to Radio Two or Radio Four, or we've got this podcast called Price of Football." Which will... <laughs> anyway, Andrew, uh, back to the question. Andrew Kuliman says, "When we're watching the game." And when when someone did actually get fouled and hurt, rather than just roll around waiting for the referee to get his cards out, um, I'm, I'm going to guess that Andrew is around our age. Yes. Um, <laughs> my son then asked me what the deal is with player insurance. So, for example, and God forbid, Raúl Jiménez gets badly injured and has to stop playing, is there a payout to Wolves and to him? Uh, how much do premiums cost, and are premiums predicated on the actual wages of a Premier League player? Um. Yeah, clubs have the option to insure players. Um, And I think in the Premier League, most clubs tend to do this. The the premiums are expensive because clearly there's a high risk involved. But uh, the the sort of the standard policy would cover a player in terms of um, up to 18 months of salary if he had a long-term injury, but not not promotion or cup-winning bonuses or or, right. or other types of bonuses. So it tends to be based on on the on the fixed salary. Now the players themselves, and you know, you and I probably both remember playing Sunday league football, and you paid your match subs. Mm. Some of that actually used to go into an insurance pot because if, if you were injured, potentially you you know, if, especially if you were self-employed, and most most of the uh, football leagues did have some. It it was a pretty pretty modest policy but there was the potential to get a bit of financial support uh, uh, coming back um the players can also insure themselves and again my understanding is that in the premier league um if you have a career ending injury there are policies which would pay um five times your annual salary so let's say that you're on you know, you know the, the average salary at palace is what you know, 50 55k a week it's 2.6 million a year so if the player was insured had a long term injury which which was ended his career uh he'd end up with a payout of, of around about you know, 12 million pounds mm. do you know i had no idea Kieran, when i was trundling around the pitches of south london playing for venn street that there was a, a any kind of insurance available because I think if we'd known that we'd have worked a scam out immediately. <laughs> there would have been eight of us out for two years, basically. Yeah, but uh, yeah, my my uncle Terry was in was one of the claims adjusters. <laughs> you, you could you could end up with a worse injury than you started off with. Especially especially if you've got to pay your premium. Yeah. Yes. Um, our penultimate question comes from Dan Greet, and I suspect the answer to this is going to be positive and optimistic. I hope it is anyway. Dan Greet says it's almost exactly 10 years since Plymouth Argyle was served with an HMRC winding up petition. How is the club doing financially now? Right. Um, Well, the good news about Plymouth is that they've got a fantastic owner uh, in Simon Hallett. Um, and, and Simon has has done what uh, Mark, Mark Palios of Tranmere Rovers, who uh, used to be head of the FA, he always he gives an annual talk to to my students, and yep. it's absolutely brilliant to listen to. And he says, says the first thing that you do is you shore up your balance sheet, and and that's what Simon Hallett has done. Yep. He's uh, he's put in a lot of money in the form of shares. 
Um, in terms of Plymouth as a club, um, like most clubs in the in the lower leagues, they they are losing money on a week by week basis. Um, you know those losses probably in the region of around about forty to fifty k a week uh, for twenty twenty, but they've been quite successful in terms of player sales. So if, if a club is losing money, the, the options you have are, A, you sell some assets uh, and you have a development model, and this appears to be what, what the plan is at Plymouth. Uh, B, you can borrow. But the trouble with borrowing money is you've got to pay it back. Or, or C, uh, the shareholders put money in in the form of, of equity. So so what uh, what Plymouth have had is that they've, they've got a development model. They're selling players to cover the losses. Uh, and also Simon Hallett has, has invested. And he's invested in the infrastructure yeah. of the club in, in terms of building that up. So you know, we, we can make Plymouth open more than you know, the 25 to 30 days a year that the football ground is for matches. And I noticed also, Kieran, you had a lot of praise for Carlisle on social media this week. Yes, yes. Um, they uh, on on the same day we had Swindon Town, who are on our naughty step, mm. um, and uh, Carlisle United both brought out uh, sets of accounts. Swindon Town, bare minimum. No mm. profit and loss account, no revenue details. We don't know how much money the club's bringing in. We uh, we don't know how much the wage bill is. We don't even know whether it's making a proper profit or loss. I just have to do a bit of you know glorified spreadsheet guesswork. So there was that that was on one side of things, and on the other, and look, I appreciate this, this is this is niche stuff. It's it's only for a small fraction of people, but if you put information out there, you give people the option. To decide whether to engage it or not, and 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 you're transparent. Carlisle United put out around about forty five pages. First of all, their accounts were audited. Lots of clubs in the lower leagues aren't audited. They had a really good uh, strategic report from the management team, you know, from the director, saying this is what we've done. This is what we're planning to do. These are the risks. These are the these are the good parts. And then the accounts were were fully detailed. So yeah, Carlisle. You know, I, th- I think I said at the time, uh, if I, if I could give six stars out yeah. of five, I, I would do so because we want to report good practice. And, and you know, th- I know that there's been some pushback from people within the game to the idea of uh, a general manager or an independent commissioner. But what the independent commissioner should be doing is saying this is best practice, you know, and and championing the likes of Carlisle United uh, to say you are setting a standard which we would hope that clubs would want to aspire to because fans are the biggest investors because they invest, you know, and I, I know this sounds trite, you invest emotionally on a, for, for a lifetime service. Well, of course you do. And, and also from a Carlisle fan's perspective, if fans want to be, if there's trouble brewing, fans would rather know about it. You yeah. know, if, if there's problems coming along down the line, if you tell the fans that's the, the case, you're open and honest, then fans will, will do their best to get behind you and, and sort you out. But if you don't, that's when the problems arrive. Now, we should point out as well that, you know, Swindon Town produced, as you said, the bare minimum. That is perfectly legal. Perfectly, perfectly legal. Absolutely. Perfectly Absolutely. Legal. Yes. Our final question comes from Aaron Waite, and it's um, it's a very interesting take on a subject that we have been talking about 
a lot recently. And Aaron says, do you think there is a conflict of interest with Sky having their own betting company and being a news company that can promote certain stories and odds on things that could push certain angles to try and persuade people to bet on things that might not happen? For example, all the Jaden Sancho transfer rumours. Now, we are not suggesting that Sky would do that because they are a reputable organisation. But Kim, there are hundreds of online news sources that also provide a handy link to place a bet on the story that's just appeared. And we've seen that you know, with Palace's unsuccessful search for a new manager. At one time, you know, the odds on losing Favre went down to two to one on, then they went back out to six to one. And so people are putting money on these markets. And if you have got a news organisation that owns a betting company as well, you can understand why people like Aaron would think, well, hang on a second, this doesn't seem quite right. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, in terms of the uh, the next manager odds, I, I was talking to somebody connected with the gambling industry about that. And I said, yeah, what, what's the score with this? Because it does seem a bit strange. And he says, take no notice of them. It, it takes two blokes to put on two £20 bets ah. for the odds of somebody to drop from 20 to 1 to what? 2 to 1. They what? are so sensitive that... Uh, uh, that you know, very very small amounts of money going on will have a significant impact upon the odds. Um, but going back to this story, well, first of all, Aaron, um, Sky don't own Sky Bet. Ah, okay. Um, they they sold them to I think it was CVG, um, but it is Sky Sky Bet. Intriguingly, is now owned by Flutter, who oh. also own Paddy Power and Betfair. Oh. So right. and, and they paid. I think it was around. They paid a huge amount of money. I think it was around about three point four billion for Skybet. Um, so th- there is this. I think this is a slight misconception because it's only because I was I was researching it myself and, and I didn't know. I, I assumed that they they certainly were originally connected. Um, so there there is no conflict for, for Sky here. But I absolutely agree with, with what you've said, Kevin. And, and going going back to Aaron's first question, that there is the potential to move markets through. Um, through releasing information, I, th- I think what wasn't there a national newspaper editor who used to have a a, a couple of employees mm. who used to have a money column? Yes, um, yes and yes, uh, yes. that that didn't uh, that that person didn't come out of it with his reputation mm. enhanced. Um, so you know, it, it's not just in the world of of football and gambling that this can take place. It can take this. This can potentially uh, take place on, on a broad anything broader issue where there is a as a form of price based market involved. Mm. It's very interesting. If you would like to make a small contribution to our always free to air podcast, uh, then that would be very kind of you. And all you need to do is go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. And of course, we will be back on Thursday with our news questions. Note to everybody involved, please don't do stuff at half past 11 on Wednesday night. That would be really helpful. <laughs> um, but if you have any questions for our next questions pod, which is next Monday, of course, then it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I will hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Thanks again, folks, for the feedback. Um, yeah, we we. we do take notice. Yeah, we, we want the show to be as good as possible. So uh, uh, comments, fair and foul, uh, we, we welcome them all. Um, and as Kevin was saying, if, if you want to support for, for as little as a pound a month uh, on Patreon, but ultimately 
you don't have to do anything at all. Just just enjoy the show. It's, uh, yeah, we, we always want to engage, um, and, and you know, perhaps we'll even see you when the tour uh, takes place. Uh, uh-huh. tour, we're, we're making progress on the tour, um, which uh, yeah, could could be could be the smallest comeback tour of of all time uh, for for anybody. <clears throat> um, but uh, other than that, look after yourselves. We'll be back on Thursday. Uh, hopefully, looking forward to England playing in the uh, quarterfinals. Uh, I did have a ticket for Tuesday night to see us play against Germany, um, and uh, I gave it to a friend. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't be able to resist that. Um, it, it can't be a comeback tour, Karen, because we haven't split up yet. We could. We, <laughs> That's true. We could. We could have a massive public row on the pod <laughs> next week, and then and then have two weeks off, which we're going to do anyway at some stage and then say right we're back we're going to do a comeback tour right. <laughs> it will be in Accrington or Plymouth because <laughs> <laughs> that's just I imagine if, if we leave Guy to just imagine Guy doing a tour schedule it would be we're in Plymouth on the Wednesday Accrington on the Thursday Southampton on the Friday and then we're doing Glasgow on the Saturday, back to Brighton on the Sunday, and then Belfast on the Monday. Well, well we have been invited to Belfast, where a, a promoter uh, got in contact with us during the week, and he says, oh, I've, "I've seen you going on tour," and we go, "Yeah, but we're just sort of we're just blokes talking about yeah, blokes <laughs> talking about things and blokes <laughs> doing things aren't quite the same." As as everybody listening to this will know full well, yes, we are we are planning some tour dates in the autumn, and we will uh, we will cover the four quarters of the country plus Northern Ireland, but whether that's through 20 gigs or five, we've yet to discover, <laughs> <laughs> but more details will follow. Bye-bye everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the